大家好，欢迎回来 Banana Skin。啊、huh? ，That was not bad, right? Okay, hi, welcome back to Banana Skin, a podcast where we peel apart the good, the bad, and the yellow. I'm Zian, and I'm your banana for this podcast. The most common stereotype associated with the Malaysian Chinese is that they are rich. From our tin mining ancestors, Chinese people are supposed to be the richest ethnicity in Malaysia. But how true is this? And if it isn't true, how did it come up anyway? Kekayaan antara orang Cina di bandar dan orang Melayu di kampung terlalu jauh dan tidak sihat. Cina Shuang Zhu Mengati 再次发表华人富有论，引发华社强烈反弹。Cina di Malaysia sudah penat dengan pelibelan simplistik seperti itu. Rana ramai orang Cina tidak kaya dan ramai bukan orang Cina yang kaya. Itiyo 2020. I'm sitting next to my father's popiah hawker stall, watching my father's helper prepare popiah for the customers. When I hear this, hey, do you hear about how Mahathir said Malaysian Chinese are rich because Chinese people all live in cities, and this is supposed to be an unhealthy trend? Like, what the heck is that? Hey, what is this supposed to mean? He never see the world before. He never see how people live before. What? <sighs> When I heard it, I remember thinking, I don't get it. Why are you so angry? It's true, right? I mean, not the unhealthy part, but how Chinese people are rich, or at least pretty privileged. And my dad, who sells popiah at his hawker store for a living, agrees. Even though they are they, they are they are poor poor also, ah, they consider also okay, no? They still can survive. Is that me? Ah, I mean, the top ten richest Malaysians are mostly Chinese. So Mahathir's not wrong, right? He just coulda, you know, put it in a nicer way. But maybe I'm saying that because I and everyone I know is privileged. It's like we live in a bubble, where the world we know is only the world as we see it. And being a banana, someone who is whitewashed and well off, doesn't really help that either. As we established in the previous episodes, different parts of the Chinese community experience different sets of struggles, which are unique to them. And being disconnected to that means that I'm only experiencing one side of what it means to be Malaysian Chinese. So could there be a truth that was different from my truth? Our research team scoured the internet, and there was so much, so many people had to say about the poor and rich Chinese people in Malaysia. But everyone had a different opinion, something different to say. We couldn't really get a clear picture of what was the truth, so we wanted to ask someone who'd known the issue for a while, someone who might understand it firsthand. Entering stage left. Please welcome James Chai, fellow Chinese and journalist.
We reached out to James because he had written an article about his own family and his own ancestors, how they as poor Malaysian Chinese had been left behind by the country they considered home. I asked him our first hard-hitting question. What's going on, man? Are the Chinese rich or poor? What do Mahathir call Chinese rich? Why are the Chinese rich anyway? Ah? I had questions. Plural. And James said that there's actually a whole history as to why the Chinese were called rich. A lot of the impression of Chinese being rich has always been around for, for um, the earliest of times. And I think the origin, it would be from when uh, Chinese first started, started to come to Malaya. So that, that's really the, the irony of it. Because a lot of the Chinese who came to Malaya are the poorer Chinese who had to escape. Uh, most of them came from around the southern region of China. But when they came here, their main purpose is really to run the economic machine that the British people have built. A part of um, what they needed to do is to make sure that they profit from whatever uh, the land has to offer. And Malaysia, of course, is very lucrative in, in giving you a lot of natural resources that could be sellable all around the world. And the impression by the British people at that time was that um, Chinese people are the hardest workers of the lot, right? So I know until modern day, some people still think that there may be genetics uh, as to why that is the case. But I think it's conditions, which is like more because they don't have a choice. When most of them came over, they are slaves. And in order for you to um, pay off your bondage as soon as possible, you need to work so fucking hard. So um, that actually means that in order for you to um, survive, you need to work almost twice as hard as the next person who is not a slave. That necessarily had created the impression that um, because they work so hard and therefore they will be rewarded by some of the fruits of it. Um, and obviously from then on, once they are freed from whatever um, slave system that they were under, uh, they would then have to uh, work to earn a living for themselves, right? So they have to take care of their family and so on. And because they are part of the economic machine, which means that they are very much in the urban centers, they have the skills necessary to sell things, um, and, and therefore they were quite uh, clannish as well. And that's why until today, you would see a lot of like clans either based on like um, surnames of a particular group, uh, or it could be like the ethnic, uh, no, the dialect background of a particular group. So you have like Hakka, Hokkien Association, uh, so Yap Association, Tan Association, those kind of stuff. So they are very clannish so that they can share resources. So over time, uh, it is very evident that uh, the Chinese, in fact, before independence, they do have more wealth than any other race. Um, so once that has progressed, um, when it came to independence, it was even more pertinent because politicians have to garner votes. One of the most effective ways is to rile up the emotions of the groups who feel victimized. So these are probably the Malay groups, uh, mainly. Um, and one of the impressions is that Chinese came over to not only take your money, but they may even take uh, political power. And that's why it's very important for you to make sure that um, the, the Malay politicians would take care of your interests, right? Mm -hmm. So 
um, there was a lot of truth in a general concept that Chinese um, have slightly more money as a group um, than the rest of the ethnic groups, right? Um, but over the years and closer to where we are now, um, there are more and more evidence that um, after we started to measure more wealth from different areas, in other words, uh, not only the wealthier of, wealthiest of the wealthiest, but also let's say the middle range and the bottom most, right? And you compare it to different races. Um, one of the more popular findings that actually didn't, uh, wasn't really utilized that much by politicians because it's not that helpful to them. And what James says checks out, he mentioned Dr. Muhammad Khalid's book, The Color of Inequality. It was found that 70% of Chinese are actually wage earners. Similar to us, 70% of Malays are also wage earners, and 80% of Indians are wage earners. I'm not very good at numbers, but in terms of wage earners across ethnicity, that sounds quite balanced, right? In other words, the majority of Chinese people are not the super rich listed in Malaysia's top 10 riches, but are actually just normal people working hard to earn a living every day. While it's undeniable that some of the richest of the rich are still Chinese, it just goes to show that the income inequality among the Chinese is the largest in this country. And that's not the reality that the majority of Chinese Malaysians are living in. If the vast majority of Chinese are not that rich, right, are relatively poor actually, and they would always hear about how Chinese are very rich you guys no, don't need anyone to support you anymore. Um, or like politicians like Mahathir would say that the Chinese are okay, they're rich enough. If you are middle income and you hear that, you're like, ah, man, another politician saying things like that. You know, they don't understand. But when you are the poorest of the poorest and you are Chinese and you hear that, you actually feel very insulted because that's where... Um, inequality is worse as a problem because um, that kind of um, emotional response is much greater if you know that the reality is probably very different from what was described. So I think that is something that is um, quite interesting at, at a grand scheme of things as to why is it that the truth um, is always misconstrued by um, by people in power. The, the Chinese overall, their numbers are small. Um, Chinese poor are relatively uh, much uh, relatively smaller than, let's say, the Malay poor. Um, there is no revolt that's going to happen. Uh, there's no... Um, e even if they don't vote for me, so what? You know, in the end, they're not part of my constituency or they're such a small number. Nothing would really happen in terms of um, what I lose from it. Mahathir has absolutely nothing to lose from it. In fact, it confirms some of his earlier theories that this country is controlled mainly by uh, the Chinese. And therefore, uh, there is an onus for every government to make sure that they help uh, Malays as much as possible. Now, it is true that if you help the poor in the country, you probably help mostly Malays because they are still the largest group in terms of like the, the poorer uh, a composite in society, um, but painting a, a different picture sometimes does appear a bit irresponsible, especially when you when the data so shows you quite the opposite. 
Back in episode 2, I mentioned that I thought that all Chinese Malaysians came from China to mine tin and get money. I don't know what I thought, but I imagine just like sweaty men who work hard during the day, ipakwa during their breaks, and who were working because they chose to, not because they had no choice. I knew a lot of them left China, but I thought they left because they wanted to get rich. What I didn't know was that what awaited them here in Malaysia was a life of slavery and survival. And that felt like a slap in the face. So there's this whole part of Malaysian Chinese history that's not taught. And the only reason why I know this now is because I asked. And the only reason why I asked is because I had someone to ask in the first place. So it seems that the truth is that the Chinese aren't actually rich. Beep beep. Beep. Beep 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 Hear that? That's my bullshit detector going off. If this is the case, then why isn't anybody helping the poor Chinese? Is it because people don't know about them, just like how I didn't? What's the difference anyway between the rich and poor Chinese? Maybe the reason why we don't say anything is because we don't know who they really are. I don't mean to talk about myself all the time. But take me for example. I've always known my mom's side, the side that spoke English and lived in the big city to be rich. But I always thought that my dad's side, the side that only spoke Chinese languages and lived in small towns, to be not rich. So that's who the rich and poor Chinese were to me. But privilege isn't clear-cut, is it? So I think for me, the most fitting characterization is that if the rich Chinese are the ones who have enough privileges in their life that they don't actually need to do much and they will already succeed. So you could imagine a rich Chinese is a person who grows up and probably scores like uh, 10th or like 20th in class, right? So middle to lower. And uh, they, they, they probably go to an international school or private school, right? They don't have to do much in order to get there. They just need to do enough. And uh, later on, they'll be already sent to an overseas university. But the overseas university that they go to are probably not a well-known university because they, they don't work hard enough to qualify for it, right? Um, but they don't need to do much. So when they come back after graduating from, let's say, University of Liverpool or like University of like, um, City University, for example, um, then they would be here and then they'll get a, either they work for their family business or uh, they work in a corporate um, setting that is as an executive and then a senior executive and then they just don't have to worry much. Their, their parents would buy a car for them um, and then they would probably have a lot of inheritance. That I think is what a rich Chinese is. It's more defined. So, so there is no necessarily, right? Any income strata per se. It's just that they don't need to do much. Um, they need to just be mediocre and they would be good enough compared to other people. Right. So 
most people are not in that category. So most Chinese are not in that category and that's why it makes the rich Chinese very small group of people. But at the same time, uh, if we contrast that to let's say a poor Chinese, right? I think the, the difference is the opposite, which is like these people, no matter how hard they work, there's a huge chance for them staying where they are. So these are the people who probably at a very young age, they have to pick up um, a job to help out with the family. So this takes up time for them to actually study, right? But these people as well, right? They have to study extra hard because they know that the only way that they can get out of poverty is by going to a good university to get a scholarship or something. But because they needed to work, they need to sacrifice a lot, need to take care of their kids, um, and mentally they don't feel like a lot of things are for them. So if you ask a, a poorer kid, right, although they, they would score like more A's than a much richer kid, um, at the end of the day, uh, they don't actually feel like they deserve anything greater, right? So there's a lot of like emotional barrier as well because they, they won't be able to come to terms that they deserve it. So that I think is the difference uh, as a comparative as to how much privilege you have that secures your future. So a rich Chinese have so much that they don't have to do anything else for it. Whereas a poor Chinese would have so little that no matter how hard you work, you probably still miss out a little bit. Uh, and that would sort of like regress your entire life. If you think James is talking about you when it comes to privilege, it's okay, he's talking about me too. But even if we know who they are and what they're going through, we still don't know why the poor Chinese are still the poor Chinese. Like, why hasn't anything gotten any better? That's the blind spot that we as a society has, have chosen to sort of accept, right? When, let's say, uh, the, the politicians talk about how let's help Malays because a lot of Malays are poor, right? Um, then we would say, yes, we probably should, right? But uh, what about the Chinese? And they would say that, well, the Chinese are rich, right? Then you would say that, well, there are surely poor Chinese as well, like any other race. Then they would probably just shrug and say that, well, that's the price that you have to pay. And that's why any rational person would know that you always miss a certain group if you do it according to ethnicity. If the majority of Chinese are actually low income who needs help, then there is something severely wrong in how looking, uh, at, it, uh, looking at policies based on ethnicity. If it is only a small group, you would think that, ah, how tragic that is, uh, we missed out on that group, but we can swallow it because it's small enough, right? But if the case is that the majority of them are actually like that, then you are really, um, you know, making policies in a very twatted manner. But who are they to say what is small? Are we just supposed to look at them and think, oh, what a shame, that they are just some unfortunate group that we can overlook while we put their rich counterparts on a pedestal? And maybe this is how the largest Chinese community feels. And maybe that's why the Chinese people were so angry about what Mahathir said. They're not angry because it's not true. Because yeah, let's face it, some Chinese Malaysians are privileged. But this is only a small part of the truth. 
that is so, so far from the whole truth. I don't know if I have the right to be angry. Am I even allowed to be angry on the behalf of others? Especially when I don't even know what it feels like to be in their position. But James says that knowing how they feel is the first step. For example, I wouldn't understand why my parents or my grandparents would would always feel like this country is not worth um, fighting for because they would always um, deprioritize you or like they would feel like things are inherently unfair and change is very unlikely to happen, right? Why is it that our generation is more optimistic about that process, right? Because we are probably more detached from the initial time when they had to come over, right? So you could imagine a person like, let's say, my great-grandfather who had to go through all of the um, trauma and suffering to, to just survive at that time, right? And if, let's say, people say that, well, um, you, you are okay, I don't need to help you anymore. Um, it, it's sort of like disregarding all of the hard work, disregarding all of the unfairness that they had to go through, the ill treatment and so on. So of course, a person would feel pissed off, right? Whereas if you say uh, all Chinese are rich to me, I would probably just feel quite neutral about it. Um, because I just know it's probably not true, but I wouldn't have the same reaction that let's say my great-grandfather would have. I know what we've talked about so far, doesn't immediately relate back to what Chineseness is. But again, being a banana, being disconnected from your own community, means that I don't know who I am as a Chinese Malaysian. Who the Chinese Malaysians really are and their struggles is what I need to know first before I can decide who I am in this broader scheme of Chineseness in Malaysia. And to do that, it means I have to look at history. I think most uh, Malaysians should actually read history regardless of whether it's like history of Chinese or history of the country. I think it's the single most important subject um, in, in school because especially in a country like Malaysia, right? If you don't read about the past, it's very hard for you to know where you are going. But the most effective way is to find out about your own family history. Um, if you don't ask about it, you never know. And chances are, if let's say your grandparents pass away, um, or like, uh, any of your parents, then all of those would be gone. Those stories about your own family is gone. Other than recorded names. So Chinese still have this luxury of having surnames. Not all races do, right? So it allows you to actually trace back as to what happened to a certain group of people, it's sort of like having a movie of your past, you know? So it is very strange. It's a very strange feeling if you find out about something. Because if you find out, let's say, right, if you watch a movie about a person who gambled a lot, and then in the end, he won a lottery, and then he came all the way to another country, and then he wanted to start again. So you think that, wow, okay, that's a story, but you'll probably forget about it after a few years. But if you found out that that's your grandparent who did that, 
that he was just this happy-go-lucky person and somehow he managed to win in a game that is purely made by chance. Um, and he has been, you know, drinking, but most of the time is he's very funny. Um, and uh, he he loves his wife and those kind of stuff, right? Then suddenly it feels different for me. Like it feels like um, this is not just a story that I read about. Some parts of him is kind of me, you know? So it, it's sort of like a very elaborate form of astrology reading. <laughs> you know, it's just to know who you are through uh, the people who have sort of given birth to your parents and your grandparents. So I think everyone should actually try to record as much about their family history as possible. That's very difficult for Banana because you cannot speak the language. Yeah, you need to find a translator or something. We said in episode 2 how languages are supposed to be the key between your past, present and future. And as a banana that knows none of my own languages, it means that there's a wealth of history, a big part of myself that's locked away from me. But the point of this podcast isn't to throw a banana pity party. It's to try to know who I want to be. So I did some astrology reading of my own, and turns out my grandma was a cancer, which is ironic. Because she was killed by a giant crab. <coughs> okay, fine, we stole that joke from Bo Burnham. Jokes aside, I found out my grandma was left behind in China as a child with her father's first wife, my great-grandfather, and the rest of her family left for Malaysia. Driven by nothing but spite and mantau alone, she rode across the South China Sea to Malaysia in nothing but a sampan. At least, that's what I was told. When I grew up, I was told she actually just bought a ticket and got on the ship, leaving China to see her family again in Malaysia. So I might not be the granddaughter of a spiteful sampan rower, but I am a granddaughter of a woman who loved her family so much that she left home. Knowing who you are, who you came from, is the most important part you need to know about your Malaysian Chinese identity. We must first learn who we are and who we are today. Then, and only then, may we discover who we can be and move forward. Thank you to dedicated Banana Skin team. To show our co-writer for this episode, PR manager and website designer, Jude, our audio engineer, Justine, our graphic designer and social media manager, James Chai for being our wonderful and very insightful guest, Mr. Fuad and the five keys for our opening. This has been the end, your banana for this podcast. See you later.